conflict that comes from a place of peacefulness and connection is good. It's needed because it's not personal. It's about the work. It's about me understanding my contribution. It's about me leaning into my growth. It's about me sitting and doing deep reflection on what allows us to be better together? How am I impeding? What can't you see? What do I need to own? Oh my God, I'm so frustrated. But actually that frustration belongs to me. So what do I do to sort it out? Welcome to Ultra Habits. Here, we go under the hood with our guests to unpack the minutiae and to understand what processes and systems they engage or research that result in ultra-enhanced living. Howdy folks, it is RJ Singh here from Ultra Habits and thank you for joining us on another week's show. We are bringing to you Christina Foxwell, who is the founder and managing director of Night Purpose. She also happens to be a dear friend of mine. Christina and I met several years ago where she was bringing sales training into a organization that I worked in as a sales rep. I greeted her in the reception area, talked her ear off. She probably looked at me like I was crazy, but we've been friends ever since. She's like my big sister. She's my trusted advisor, and we have some deep conversations. And we are bringing to you today one of those conversations that her and I have been having offline, and it's on the subject of vulnerability. Now, Christina's firm, Ignite Purpose, works with companies, leaders within Australia to help their people find their purpose, ignite their fire, perform, and ultimately help kick butt within the industries that they operate in. So Christine is all about connecting people to their own purpose, but to the purpose of the organization. She's a remarkable woman, South African. She has a lot of energy. She was raised in the church, she has the evangelical style, super charismatic, and has a lot of depth. And today we talk about a difficult subject, a difficult subject for some, particularly myself, vulnerability. How do we do that within the organizational context? Why is it important? What does that mean for our people when we create an environment of vulnerability? We talk about things like psychological safety, innovation, and high performance. It's a personal conversation that Christina and I have been having that I wanted to bring to the Ultra Habits community, and I hope you enjoy it. I leave you in the capable hands of Tina, as I like to call her. Please let us know what you think about the episode. Rate this podcast. The link will be in the show notes. Again, Thank you for following us. Thank you for your continued support. Peace out. Hello, Christina. How are you? I'm well, thank you, RJ. How are you? Well, I'm super stoked to have you here at Ultra Habits. You are a unique guest in a sense that you and I have a very long relationship with each other. And just, uh, it's really good to have you on the show. Yeah. Thank you. It's really such a pleasure to be here. Um, there's such a fondness in my heart uh, for you. And uh, I'm so grateful you invited me on because what a journey we've been on. Mm. Indeed. I mean, I think we've known each other through different iterations of life, which has been interesting to, to witness each other, mm. I suppose, in growth, uh, for better or worse. In many times, but uh, for the audience that doesn't know you, Tina, uh, yes. can you tell us a little bit about what you do? So it's such an interesting thing. Um, I'll just I'll I'll start with my purpose because I think maybe that's the best place. My purpose and my team's purpose is to impact one person's life a day, so that they can make a difference in their world. And we want to we want to be able to support them, touch their lives. Sounds a bit fluffy, not at all. It's probably the hardest thing to achieve. Um, I run a performance practice in Sydney, Australia, and I've worked actually all over Asia uh, with different clients. And um, 
what we look at is we look at how do we help organisations transform into the places where people can bring who they are and into a place where we can be tolerant with each other and to a place where we can look at being more effectively performing together, not just for the bottom line. That happens as a result of who we are together, as a result of how we can really engage and challenge each other. And none of that is possible without a ton of personal growth. Mm, I like that. That is deep. And we are going to really unpack that in a minute. But before we do, before we do, I would like to understand where you come from and a little bit more about your upbringing, because I think that's going to give all of us a sense of why you do what you do and how you become the woman you are. So I was very privileged to grow up in a minister's home where my dad imperfectly, I have to add, because I've not met the perfect person, walked a very dedicated and focused life to serving his community and to serving God. So he was a pastor. If anyone out there knows how it is to be a minister's child, we are always the ones that come out a little bit wonky sometimes at the end. We either become ministers ourselves or we're completely alienated from ministry. Um, And very seldom is there that nice happy medium. Uh, But I was very privileged. I grew up, I have three brothers, myself, um, my mom, I grew up in South Africa, so as you can see, my nice beige colouring, I don't go in the sun. Like, this is non-sun. This is not a tan. Like, this is just non-sun. And I remember growing up and we used to go holidaying in Durban a lot. And if I got a nice little tan, you know, I would just blend in with everybody in Durban. Like, and, And coming from an apartheid era, If you were too dark, you didn't get keys to public bathrooms. You were not allowed in certain places. Um, And so having experienced some of that non-belonging from a young age, I didn't realize how much it had actually traumatized me. Uh, My brothers are fair. Actually, I often joke with RJ, he's he's the beige version of my fair brother you know um and fair 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 and then I'm their sister okay and so I grew up in a wonderful home with ministry in my blood I think and caring for people the age of 17 I told my dad I want to be a preacher Uh, he said yeah no girls don't do that you need a husband Mm -hmm. Uh, and I was incredibly disappointed because my brother was at bible school studying to be a, a minister And uh, I just wanted to be able to live my purpose because I'd always done the work. I was my dad's music director. I was active in bringing youth together. I was part of the Sunday school. I just worked alongside them. By the way, I was not uh, perfect. I was very imperfect, but I loved the work, right? So I got married at 21 to my childhood sweetheart. It was a relationship based with a lot of lack of expectations, lack of boundaries from my perspective, um, not recognizing my own worth, giving away my worth. Um, some, the man that I was married to uh, was a ride squad policeman in apartheid time. And so he was um, traumatized and I didn't even know it. So our relationship was awfully shitty, to put it simply. <laughs> and um, I'd love to I mean, there was domestic violence. Mm. I'm a cheeky little chappy though. So mm. he was six foot seven. I remember standing on the bed yelling at him at the top of my voice because I was so frustrated. I remember, and this is terrible, going into his cupboard and praying that he would just die because I couldn't leave him, mm. um, which is all horrible things. Yet I think in the midst of trauma and losing your identity, you no longer know who you are and you just need to be free. 
So I, I, I mean, that was my step in. I left him for somebody else, which kind of happened. Uh, that didn't go anywhere, but it was the first time someone showed me kindness and grace in mm. many years. And I was like amazed that anyone could see something in me that was worthwhile. Mm. Uh, and so my journey began with this collection of husbands. <laughs> Uh, as I like saying, because, and you know, if anyone's out there is judging me, you know, that's okay too. You don't know the journey till you've walked the journey. Mm. And, uh, I think it was that trigger point in my brain that I could never live my real purpose unless I had a husband and I needed a husband to walk beside me to live my full purpose. And I'm going to fast forward to today. Boom. Um, I am swimming in my purpose it's the best way to to create an analogy for you swimming um not floundering not splashing i feel that obviously i have moments where i might feel overwhelmed as we all do but i am so grateful that i can use what i have and as i grow also benefit the people that i work with it's to me a tremendous gift um, the gift I bring is executive management, care for people, understanding business, understanding people, and running a business myself where I have people working with me. Because that to me was probably the most important thing about my journey, RJ. And I'm like, um, you know, the scientist in The Fly? Mm-hmm. Do you remember the movie The Fly? Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. please. I don't have Jeff a problem. fly. Yeah, I don't have a fly coming out of me, but I'm one of those people that need to be the proof point mm-hmm. to share the message. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't just want to talk it. You've got to do mm-hmm. it because if you mm-hmm. can't do it, you're not walking it. Uh, just with that, in terms of, you know, you, you're, you're sharing your upbringing and I know how, you're really strong with inclusivity and togetherness. I'm just wondering, have you reflected and can you share with us how growing up in apartheid, how did you reconcile that with the message of God? And how do you think apartheid has impacted you as a result now? When you when when you view, you know the fact that you lived life in a place in a very critical period of your life that was heavily divided, and mm. now you're bringing people together. Mm. RJ, when you grow up in a certain space, some things are kind of embedded in you around separation until you become the separated. Mm -hmm. I was attached to a flagpole. We had, um, when we went to high school, we had like, uh, how could I put this? I don't know. There's a word for it, but it's escaping me this morning. It was like an induction week where it was complete humiliation. Oh, hazing. Hazing. In high school, your first week, Mm -hmm. I had to walk around with an egg. My uniform had to be the back back to front we were humiliated they attached me to the flagpole Uh, I didn't they didn't hoist me they just I I can't even remember how they attached me and they are kept asking me what nationality are you who's they the kids who were doing this to me Mm. and I remember another instance where I saved money to buy a baby doll you know, a doll. And in Africa, you had beige dolls and white dolls. <laughs> and my brother, I was, I was going to buy a white doll, and he said to me, why are you buying a white doll? That doll's not your color. Mm. So my first husband would get drunk and at sporting events because he was a professional sportsman. He used to ask people to check my gums because he's sure I'm a colored. Um. I can just carry on. Can I just carry on? So all those things were like, you don't belong. Where do you belong? Who are you? And that was not even the worst of it because I came from a Pentecostal background, okay? So we were in a Dutch Reformed community. So our religion separated us. 
because everyone looked at us as the creepy people who do weird shit. And they used to say when the lights go off, we creep around on our hands and knees under the under the benches, which is a load of crap, man. But, I mean, it's not that that wouldn't happen, but that's not the point, right? <laughs> um, it's a spiritual uh, religious space. And so we were separated there. I couldn't even join the Christian group at school because I was in the wrong church group. These are whites on whites. Like it doesn't matter. It's so separation smashed into me at a very young age. Actually so much. So you'll laugh. I convinced my primary school teacher that my parents were not my parents. Mm. And the school phoned my mom and dad to say, Hey, we realized that you and your husband are taking care of Christina, but we would really like to understand what her parent, her biological parents address are. So we can send, <laughs> my mom was like, have you seen her dad? She's mm-hmm. like the splitting image of him. Mm-hmm. We are the biological parents. Mm-hmm. So I had this vision in my head that I just didn't fit there. Now that's trauma related. Now that I know what it is. It's trauma related. It's shame related. It's separation related. It's isolation related. I got molested at the age of five by a family member, RJ. And I remember telling my parents and my my dad and mom didn't know what to do with that information. What do you do when your five-year-old tells you something like that? Do you lose your mind? You've got a little girl. Do you lose your mind? Do you go and smash up the family member? Do you, and then you're a community leader mm-hmm. in a time when none of this was spoken about. Shame, 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 shame. Most of all, shame for me because I thought I was going mad. A year later, I get caught playing doctor, doctor. My dad literally almost kills me. So I get shamed again. So I hide. So RJ, as I'm sharing this stuff with you, I recognized how the lack of belonging separated me from living my full potential. What I didn't realize at that young age is belonging is found in me first. How did you then move you call it the ninja Barbie, right? Mm. So that was, so you've now taken all this. How did you then move into the armored up, Christina? Like, what was that? What was the decision-making process you did to, to kind of respond to that level of trauma? Like, what did you do from there? I had a little girl who now works with me named Carolise. And for her, I needed to survive. For her, my parents didn't have money to help me. There was no um, benefits in Africa. No work, no pay, no food today. How nice is that statement, right? Where'd you no get work? that? I made it was up. That... No work, oh, no I pay, like no it. food today. Okay. I like that. And so if there's no work, no pay, no food today, I have a man who wants to take my child off me because he earns more. He's a well-known professional sportsman. Um I needed to, I needed to work. I needed to take care of her. And I've always enjoyed work. Mm. I am, I've always enjoyed it. It's that purpose thing coming out of me, right? So Mm. I always enjoyed getting involved, like doing shit. I really did. And so in order to do that, I needed to become tough. And of course, every guy that I connected with, I always went to a certain kind of individual to partner (laughs) with. Uh, who just kind of cracked the nut a little bit more, right? And eventually the nut went, well, men, I'm not going to show you what I'm going to do to you, and I'm going to be a woman that will not allow you to do this to me. And so Ninja Barbie was born. Um, And actually, when I got into my flow, state and we have different times in our lives when we're in a full flow state right i believe though in that flow state i've got to watch out for ego because ego becomes the stealer of flow again so when i'm using what i have my talents come to life if i forget why i'm doing it 
and I forget the humility and the grace needed to keep doing it. I will regress. So you start kind of, when you're in a flow state, there's a potential to start to drink your own Kool-Aid and become a bit too cool for school. Is that what you're saying? And then it you comes can become from arrogant. And then you, and then you come from a place of armored up. I'm right. You're wrong. And as soon as we go into that space of I'm right, you're wrong. I've closed up again. Is that where you were fueled from when you commenced this? I've got to work, no pay, no food today. Place? I, I, yeah. Um, not being able to lying in my grandmother's apartment with my little girl and staying on her porch because the guy I dated stole my money, smashed my place up. It was ter terribly traumatic. I could write a Elizabeth Taylor would have no qualms on my book. <laughs> lying on my grandmother's porch on this double bed, staring at the roof with the lights out at 7 p.m. because that's when my granny wanted to go to bed. And my little girl lying next to me and I'm thinking to myself, no, no, no. No. Ninja Barbie was born from deep protection, mm. using my talents to survive versus being who I am so my talents create my thriving. Two different states. One is fear, one is love. Fear says, I will show you. Love says, I can let you see me because I see me and love me for who I am. Fear says, I look inside and I see all the shit. And I used to actually say at one stage, actually I had a, because unfortunately shame comes back like a boomerang sometimes and you need to know when it's going to hit you and then you need to know how to address it, right? I said, my now marriage was about to go down the toilet a few years ago. I love you, John, as I'm saying this, but he knows it's truth. And I sat at the airport, tears running down my face, and I, I, I said, I can't go through this again. I'm the scarlet woman. It's like I'm tarred and feathered. See, mm -hmm. that's what I saw when I, when I looked inside. I needed to change that story for me to be my best me because I am me. But if I see that stuff, I no longer become me. I, I put the wall up so that you will only see what I want you to see. And then I don't have to see it either. Was, was, so I, when I met you, you were doing sales coaching. And I, I believe you're probably in the Ninja Barbie state or place. How critical was it for you to evolve as an individual in terms of the work you do, because I would imagine it's intrinsically connected. Like your ability to add value to your clients is limited by your own personal bandwidth. What would you say to that? And how would you reflect on that comment? You make me as Ninja Barbie for sure, but you make me also displaying some of my natural talents. The problem with focusing and wearing our armor to make us strong, it suffocates us and it steals our joy. And then the less joy we feel, the more coping mechanisms we look for. And I just felt like I started losing touch with me. I got very dark. I got incredibly depressed. I was actually really sick too. So after you met me about two years later, I developed adrenal failure. Because you cannot live on adrenaline. <laughs> you know, if you're living to protect yourself all the time, you're living on adrenaline. It's, it's like there, there are different ways to wire your health, right? I say that and I have a constant battle with that. Even as I'm sitting here with you today, I now know how to watch for my body and my flow. 
I'm that is still an area I work on, which I think we all have, right? Just, just I, on that, just on that. That is yeah. for hyper hyper driven people. I had a conversation with a, a, a friend and guest who's a managing partner at Accenture, and we were talking about the, the kind of regulation of the nervous system for people like us. It's very easy. I think it's something that the audience needs to look at because our audience typically are geared like us is, you know, this whole piece on adrenal, adrenal fatigue and how are we managing our state, and our body. But I just wanted to go, I just wanted to segue that in there, but go, go ahead and continue. Hey guys, just wanted to take a quick break to thank you for your continued support of the Ultra Habits Show. It's through your support that we've been able to scale this thing so quickly and so strong over the past year, and we're truly grateful for your continued support. If you haven't already, please go to www.ultrahabits.co and subscribe. You'll get cool information, insights, and be up to date with everything we're doing. And also, if you haven't, please rate this podcast The link is in the show notes. When you do this, you help us scale our message of ultra performance, ultimately helping us create more impact with our tribe. Anyways, we're going to leave you back in the hands of our wonderful guest. So let me just go back. When you met me, I was delivering great results. I was picking up a piece of uh, work. I didn't enjoy the organization because the organization wasn't love-based. I didn't enjoy the organization. I felt that we could teach people how to sell, but we weren't teaching them how to connect. So we were teaching them to have a logical, quite a strategic conversation without human connection. Did you feel that the subject matter to the type of selling upon reflection was quite... brutal, man. It was brutal. It's brutal, man. It, It was brutal. It was it's, a brutal style of selling. It was not my style. Actually, I'll say this to you. I worked for their sister company for seven years before working for them. And they had part of that research woven into their work, but they also had the generosity piece. Mm. And so when you guys engaged with me, I wasn't slaughtering you. I was using that style because that's what I knew. You told me that. But what we engaged you for was a brutal style. You asked me for a brutal style. <laughs> we gave you that. Actually, I will say this, uh, after the first day of facilitation, and our facilitator was so lovely, but Matt Barbudo phoned me and went, you get your ass here. You remember that, yeah. And I was saying, I'm in New Zealand. He went, I don't care. Actually, I flew from New Zealand to Melbourne and they lost my luggage. So I arrived in the same clothes that I flew in on the night before. <laughs> funny yeah, story, yeah. Funny story, right? But that's how determined I was to be able mm. to walk next to my client. And actually, I took over some of that facilitation, mm-hmm. didn't I? I remember that now. Yeah, and then I, I started yeah. teaching you guys yeah. how to do it. Not just how to do it, but how to do it. So... Looking back on all of that, I started this practice. I wanted to do it differently. And I've had moments when I've done it differently and moments when that damn well ninja Barbie, I shouldn't say that, when my brutal discipline and brutal focus on my survival has impacted my ability to truly do the work. How? I'll share this with you. I I use the word brutal for other people around me. They don't think I'm, it's brutal, but for me, I'm incredibly grounded in generosity. So when I go into that space, it hurts. And I'm going to give you this example. I had at one stage, we were doing almost a million dollar turnover for a consulting practice. We were just like, just shy, right? I had a stack load of people working with me. Man, RJ, I was traveling like an absolute, you remember, I was just always on an airplane, right? My team were running and scattering. I brought consultants in to try and support, but we had the Matt Barbudo problem. If I wasn't in the room, what would happen? Yeah, of course. Who did they want? 
Yeah, you, because you sold it. We bought you. You bought me, okay. Uh, and I didn't want to be the business. My greatest lesson was I was working so hard to pay people salaries, but not being on the ground to actually direct them, coach them, grow them, uh, because I couldn't be, because I was on the front end. So I couldn't be on, I couldn't be selling, delivering, and being in the, it was impossible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and John, my husband, sat me down and he went, Tina, what are you doing? Like, like I don't understand. You, you're wanting to build this big thing. For what purpose? <laughs> and my worthiness was a wrestle for me. Like I was going, I want to, I, I've, got to, I've got to show that I can do this. And John went, no, you can just do this. And I was like, no, I've got to prove that I can do this. See, so do you hear fear? I've got to prove that I can do this. I've got to show that I can do this. I've got to do like versus saying, I am going to do this, but I don't need to do it in the way that I always thought it needed to happen. Now, highly profitable, less people, more automation. Choose to not kill myself because a killed myself, Christina, is not great in the room. Take time and and recharge. Do lots of painting. Take time off. Close the laptop. Stop working. I walk every single day, except this morning, because I'm here with you, right? I walk every single day. Um, So there's certain practice that I had to change my mind, firstly, of what success is. And I had to embrace purpose. Mm. By the way, those were not easy things and they're a journey piece. They're a journey piece because I've got to unwire the fear stories that I buy every single day to rewire myself around who I really am, how I bring me and what I want for my life and why. See, I can still, and I sit with executives. I, I, I understand business. I understand people, and I'm still learning. I understand me. I watch. I share. Mm. I get them to reflect. I love bringing teams together, RJ, because the art of walking into the gray together is something no one teaches us. Because gray means I'm wrong, you're right, let's create safety. But gray is actually, we don't know who's right or wrong. Why don't we explore what we're trying to solve together? See, that to me is the magic essence of high-performing teams and a hive. Yeah. So this brings us to now where we open up conversations you and I have had personally into the ultra habits forum and community. And that's what I wanted to do. So you and I are aligned in so many ways and we're kindred spirits, we're like brother and sister. And, and mm. um, I mean, I know your parents, your dad, you know, my parents, you know, my mm. family. So there's a connection there. You and I have had, multiple conversations about this piece on vulnerability and i've shared with you that my view in Mm. terms of how i've accessed my best performance is been through compartmentalization and looking at work and what I do professionally is the arena and everything I do outside of the arena prepares me for being in the arena. Mm. And the arena can mean many things to many people. And in many ways, I suppose going to that arena, I'm armored up because within corporate, there's different power dynamics, expectations on results. And I've struggled to overlay the level of vulnerability you and I talk about personally, which you and I share with each other personally, we're doing that Mm. right now. Mm. 
I've struggled to overlay that within the context of the organization. Mm. And I consider myself a pretty aware person. Like, so I'm thinking if it's hard for me, it would be hard for others. I think I can make Mm. that assumption. I want to ask you, why do you think it's so important for us as leaders to walk with vulnerability? And what would you say to people that would obviously see the risk? And they would be saying this to you, no doubt, in every engagement you have. Mm -hmm. So why is it important? And what do you say to people that see it as hyper risky? So I'm going to start with by answering your question with um, a statement. Go ahead. Vulnerability is not disclosure. Necessarily. Vulnerability is not disclosure. Now I'm going to give you another statement. Vulnerability enables connection. Let me give you the definition for connection. Thank you, Brene Brown. And then, of course, I've added a few bits on because it wouldn't be me if I didn't. Connection is the energy that exists between us. See, when I'm being vulnerable, I have opened myself up for the energy flow peacefully. So there needs to be an energy exchange. Not a pissing contest, sorry for the word, an energy exchange. So connection is the energy that exists between us when I feel seen, heard, and valued, and when I can see, hear, and value you. I'm going to stop right there. That ability to be seen and to see does not happen without vulnerability. So I'm going to keep going with that definition, right? Connection is the energy that exists between us when I feel seen, heard, and valued, and I can see here and value you. When we can, you and me, give and receive without judgment, like we do, by the way, we get sustenance and joy and performance and partnership. I can keep going from the relationship. That's the first piece. Vulnerability cannot exist without boundaries. Boundaries is not a wall. Boundaries is a flow of what's okay and what's not okay for me. See, vulnerability allows courage, bravery, and a sense of self. And in order to get to vulnerability, I need to walk through my own shame. No one can do that for me. And I have this analogy of the shame bags. I interviewed a lady a few years ago and she said to me that she was building muscle. She was strong to like walk through her life. God, a ninja Barbie flashed to my head. I know what that feels like, ninja, ninja. But in that strength is heaviness because I am carrying all my shit around with me as my armor. And until I learn how to put that shit down and accept it for what it is and find the gift, I will always be pierced by it. So I'm going to give you a metaphor. I've written a story and it's in my new book that I'm working on at the moment, which is called Free Me. And it's the story of the glass angel. And it tells the story that of these angels that fly, and but they're all made of glass and they're fine and beautiful. And then the wind takes this angel and smashes her to the ground. She breaks and her wings are broken, they're bleeding, they're jagged. She collects all the broken pieces. And she ties them to herself with a band like a sash. And every time she moves, they pierce her and they remind her of who she is not. But this angel becomes a warrior to prove to the world that she can be good enough and accepted. And she uses her jagged wings 
the sharp points as a weapon to forge a great life for herself, she thinks. Yet nothing takes away the piercing of the shards that she's tied around her body. And one day she walks into the desert and on a dusty road she finds this angel that's glowing. And this angel invites her to sit down with him around a fire. And this angel has these magnificent wings. They're just a kaleidoscope. And the angel shares with her that they were a broken angel. But actually, they were never broken. They were just on the journey of alchemy. And the alchemy to become an alchemist, which reminds other angels that their wings can be replaced by themselves. But the golden thread that weaves all the broken pieces together is forgiveness, acceptance, love, joy, compassion, kindness. And as she starts thinking about all the golden threads come out of her heart where they've been waiting, they weave around the gold, the broken uh, parts of her wings. And before she knows it, she has got her alchemic angel wings. And now she has a calling. And her calling now becomes to walk the dusty road and to find angels to remind them that they are perfect and that they are in the journey of transformation. That's my story, RJ. I read your uh, your books to my my kids, to my son. You know the children's books, Astra the Unicorn, very similar, and the puffer fish, and it's a beautiful metaphorical story, and. Um, those that don't know, uh, from what I understand, they represent some of the characters in those stories represent people within your life, right? So I suppose when one walks with vulnerability and is engaged in this energy exchange, one also has to have the courage and the stability within themselves to realize that within the context of an organization, things may happen. Absolutely. Dynamics, power dynamics, performance is still required, but of course. we need to, I suppose it's a very courageous act because many people I would imagine would start this journey a vulnerability and then something negative could happen with someone else in the leadership team. And they would use that as a confirmation bias is to say, see, this is, this doesn't work. This is, this is all of too course. Quiet. Of course. Audrey, I'm going to say this to you. People call vulnerability fluffy. It's the soft stuff. It's the unsafe stuff. No, no. It's the stuff that human connection is made of. I have never seen success happen where we are running next to each other in different directions. Never, ever. Because we're separate. I've never seen success even in a marriage happen where people never argue. Or actually walk through challenges together. Conflict that comes from a place of peacefulness and connection is good. It's needed because it's not personal. It's about the work. It's about me understanding my contribution. It's about me leaning into my growth. It's about me sitting and doing deep reflection on what allows us to be better together. How am I impeding? What can't you see? What do I need to own? Oh, my God, I'm so frustrated. But actually that frustration belongs to me. So what do I do to sort it out? See, without that magic, it becomes about me, not we. 
and vulnerability is the only way toward that. I like asking this question, what comes first, trust or connection? I think connection can be still made superficially without trust to a certain degree. I guess it's how you define connection. I mean, I, I connect with people, let's say in the sales process on a personal mm. level, quite deeply sometimes it doesn't necessarily mean they trust me or I trust them. So I'm going to give you the definition of connection one more time. Connection is the energy that exists between us. That's the superficial part. Here's the next part. When I am truly seen, heard, and valued. And when I look at you and you allow me to see, hear, and value you. In trust, I would say, comes first. Thank you. Connection comes first. See, I don't know, and I trust me. To show me to you. So you're making it an I thing where the control and the power resides in us without having to be fearful about what that other person's response is. Hell yes. And there are people today that are listening to this going, biggest load of bullshit, switch it off. Good. We've triggered a lighthouse moment for you. See, we will always be judged because when people see vulnerability in us, they run. Why? Hmm. Because in a sense, that connection calls it out in them. I'll say this to you. The more peaceful you are, the more likely the energy flow will happen. The more anxious you are to do something, to prove something, to show, show, show something, the less likely that energy flow will exist the way you need it to. Mm. And, uh, and it goes back to that, um, goes back to the Maya, Maya Angelou statement you love that I've always loved. Um, hearing from you is that people remember how you make them feel, not what you say, something to that effect, right? So it's like you can't fake what your energy emits. Boom. That's, you, you can't, you can't fake that. It's kind of, it's a, it's a sign of your level of presence, I suppose. So if you think about the mental fitness work that I do now, as part of our practice, which is the center core to all the teamwork we've got to do, right? Mm -hmm. If my judge shows up, yours has to show up. Especially if I'm not aware. If I'm peaceful and present and I hold my presence, when your judge shows up, I see it for what it is. I don't get angry with you as a person, even though that's very difficult and I'm still working on that, but I recognize your judge for what it is and I stay as peaceful as possible as I navigate, set boundaries and reframe. So how can individuals start to, let's assume they've got some level of awareness because I would, that, that, that would, one needs to have some level of awareness. So let's just say they've cultivated some level of awareness and they're walking on the path. Mm. How could they start to orientate themselves, effectively create habits around the process of vulnerability? Start recognizing the flow of energy as the first habit. Are you peaceful and open for the flow of energy? If not, what can you do to calm your brain to be peaceful? What fear is robbing you from being present? The 
those are some of the key things I would say. So firstly, recognize your energy. Is there flow or not? Can you be who you are? Or do you need to be who someone feels that you need to be? Because as soon as that's happening, energy drops. Are you deeply connected with yourself and are you willing to do the work that will transform your life? Or are you trying to prove who you are to achieve what you need to to transform your life? Look, I think what we'll do is we'll we'll leave it there. It's been a a great conversation, Tina. It's been really really nice to have a personal conversation on a public forum. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not our first. It's not going to be our last. What I would ask you is to tell our audience where they can find you and learn more about your work. I know that you've recently released uh, Grow Me. The book. Yeah. You can talk about that and what that is and where we can all, you know, find, find all this information. Um, thanks, RJ. Uh, I have an interactive website, so I'd love the, your audience to go and check us out on www.ignitepurpose.com.au. I share a little bit about my story where you'll see my photograph, click in, you'll go to my timeline, have a look. I'm as human as I can be. On the shop in our website, you can click. We will post your book wherever you are in the world. Um, In South Africa, if you're in Africa, I've got a team member there and she posts from Africa. I haven't yet got places all over the world. Else you can go to Amazon. And the book is called Grow Me. And, of course, my name is Christina Foxwell. Um, I am wanting to connect. I'm on social media. Connect up with me. Be part of my world. Let's make it better together. Thank you so much, Tina. Thank you, RJ. Thanks for coming on. Really appreciated the time, yeah? It's my great pleasure.